0: hey guys welcome back to that canadian podcast i'm your host and that canadian sam now I'm going to give you a blanket warning in regards to this episode. In it, I'll be telling stories uh, involving self-harm or thoughts of self-harm, depression, suicidal thoughts, and other subjects that may be triggering to you. Um, I'll also be including audio that can be pretty disturbing, I guess, or spooky to listen to. It it could really make you uncomfortable at the very least. So. That audio, um, before I play it, I'll give you a warning. uh, Again, just like last week's episode. Just so that way, if you want to skip it, you can go ahead. Um, It's about four minutes long. And like I said, I'll I'll give you a reminder uh, before it plays. Today's episode is about the exorcism of Annalise Michel. She was born in 1952 in Germany. Now, she was 23 years old when this, the main... I guess I can't really say the main portion, but she was 23 years old at the peak of the events. And she was a young college student. She was actually from a very strict religious family. Uh, When she was in college, other students described her as withdrawn and just that extremely religious. And her family uh, was a Catholic family that was more on the... um, Now, I don't know much about any specific religion. But her family was of the mindset where one person cannot atone for their sin. um, So they can't, I guess, from what I understand it to be, is that they can't just go to confession, confess their sins, be given um, instructions by the priest uh, in order to receive atonement. Um, That just can't be done as far as I know, in terms of their beliefs. And so they would do certain things and make certain sacrifices to atone for their sins as well as other people's sins. For example, I've read that they would sleep on floors, like hardwood floors, all winter, without blankets, just in the hopes that their sacrifice for comfort and warmth would be accepted by God as penance for the drug addicts or sinners in general who have passed away Um, with these sins on their shoulders, I guess. I, like I said, I don't really know too much about religion, but anyways, (laughs) she was apparently very likable. She was a very approachable person. Um, it was just that she was very withdrawn. And I think that comes a lot from her religious background, not trying to bash any religion or anything like that. I just think that her upbringing made her a little more withdrawn than others may have been. In September of 1968, when she was 16 years old, she had blacked out and lost consciousness, which was like the first episode of what was to come. And while she was blacked out, or not blacked out, but when she was unconscious, she later explained that when she was unconscious, she felt like something or someone was pressing down on her chest, and she felt like she was being pinned to her bed. When I first heard this, I thought that it was absolutely terrifying, and... I know that some people go through stuff like this, through something called sleep paralysis. And from what I've heard and read, um, people have like a sleep paralysis demon, which is... I, I can't imagine what that must be like. But the technical definition I found online is that sleep paralysis is a state during waking up or falling asleep in which a person is aware but unable to move or speak. During an episode, one may hallucinate, they would hear or feel or see things that are not there, which often results in fear. So I'm thinking that this could have possibly been sleep paralysis. I don't know if sleep paralysis was actually a thing back in, what was it, 69, 68? Um, But who knows, maybe for those people who believe that she really was possessed, it could have been a demon pinning her down or pressing down on her. Eleven months after that first event, in August of 1969, she ended up having another episode or, um, yeah, we'll say episode, similar to the first one. And her mom, Anna Michelle, took her to their family doctor named Dr. Vogt, let's just say Dr. V, and to a neurologist named Dr. Lethey. She was thoroughly examined by both doctors, and one of the examinations they did, or the tests that they did, was an EEG. According to the Mayo Clinic, an EEG is a test that detects electrical activity in your brain. It uses small metal discs, um, electrodes, and they attach it to your scalp. It's one of the main diagnostic tests for epilepsy, and it can also play a role in diagnosing other brain disorders. I've personally had a few EEGs. Uh, The first one I had was a one hour uh, EEG done in the hospital. The second was a 24 hour at home EEG. And the third was a five day inpatient EEG. For each test, or, well, yeah, each test that they did, they would connect, I don't even know how many little electrodes to my scalp. They would use like this little kind of glue that would like glue it to the skin, and it was a pain to get out of my hair let me just tell you so they would have probably done the same thing with Annalise I'm not sure if it would have been the same method since there was quite a bit of time between when she had it done and when I had it done but it's really cool how it works and it really does like when I was doing the inpatient EEG there was the monitor right next to me that was connected to all the electrodes so if I did certain things I could see spikes on it but I've, I've gotten very sidetracked, and that's not very important to the story, but I don't know. Anyway, that was my experience with the EEGs. <laughs> some of the sources that I found said that the doctors had found nothing on the EEG, and some of the sources said that she suffers from temporal lobe epilepsy. Now, <laughs> I tried to find a way to explain this in a really simple, not reading from the page or the screen in front of me kind of way, But it's really, I don't know, I'm just going to try to get through it really quickly. Uh, It's a little excerpt from the Cleveland Clinic about this type of epilepsy that she found. So I'm going to do it as quickly as I can, so bear with me. Causes of temporal lobe epilepsy include nerve cell death, which results in scarring from the temporal lobe, brain injury, brain infection, brain tumor, brain inflammation, developmental abnormalities, or unknown causes which accounts for about 25 percent of temporal lobe seizures now i find that really interesting because of actually i'm going to talk about that a little later so you'll just have to wait Um, but there are two kinds of temporal lobe seizures the first is focal aware seizures and this type of seizure uh, has the level of consciousness that does not change during the seizure so These seizures last from a few seconds to two minutes, and signs and symptoms of focal aware seizures include a sudden sense of fear or anxiety or sadness or joy or anger sometimes, a rising sick feeling in the stomach, um, kind of similar to what you get when you're riding a roller coaster, um... An altered sense of hearing, sight, smell, taste, or touch. Visual distortions: objects are larger or smaller than they actually are. Seeing things, etc. Difficulty speaking or inability to speak. Now keep that in mind for later because it's very important. <laughs> um, the second type is focal impaired awareness seizures. So it's the level of consciousness that's impaired to some degree. Um, so the person cannot interact with the surrounding environment as they normally could. These seizures tend to have warning signs that happen before this type of seizure occurs. And this warning sign is called an aura. The aura is actually considered to be a seizure itself. It's a focal-aware seizure that, in this case, has progressed to a focal-impaired awareness seizure. These types of seizures can last from 30 seconds to 2 minutes. Signs and symptoms of vocal-impaired awareness seizures include staring, repetitive behaviors and movements of the hands, such as fidgeting, picking motions, and uh, of the eyes, which could be excessive blinking, and of the mouth, which is like lip smacking, chewing, swallowing, etc. There's also confusion, unusual speech, which is altered ability to respond to others, and brief loss of ability to speak, read, or comprehend the spoken word. Now, like I said, I know that's a lot to take in, but it's helpful information for you, the listener, to decide if it really was temporal lobe epilepsy. I think maybe that if she wasn't possessed, she could have had both types of epilepsy. Now, I'm not sure if that's medically possible, but there's symptoms in both types that could apply to her in the situation and behaviors that she exhibits. Now, with all that medical stuff out of the way, let's get to the story. The doctors had guessed that it could have been a type of seizure, but they didn't really have anything very definitive. And in 1970 and 1972, she had a couple more of these seizures, if that's what they really were. But I'll just say similar episodes, because we don't know for sure if it was seizures or not, like I just said. After seizure number three in 1970, she was prescribed an anti-convulsion medication or anti-seizure medication, or both, actually. I think she was prescribed both, and after each seizure, that's hard to say together, each seizure, (laughs) they performed another EEG, and all of which came back normal with some mild irregular patterns, but nothing definitive. So again, nothing would completely explain what's going on with poor Annalise. At one point, she was admitted into a psychiatric hospital, and it was there that she was diagnosed as neurotic, and I believe she was put on medication for that as well. In the spring of 1973, things got weird. She began to hear knocking sounds in her bedroom, and what's unique about this or different about this is that it wasn't just her who was hearing it, her sisters actually heard it as well. And this can actually disprove any non-believers' arguments that they were just in her head because of the fact that her sisters heard them too. That being said, her sisters didn't hear everything that Annalise was claiming to hear. An example would be that Annalise was hearing all these voices, different types of voices, and she was also seeing people's faces change in front of her from the people that she knows to demonic people terrifying faces and again damning her to hell. Her mom Anna noticed that Annalise was staring intently at a statue of the Virgin Mary and when she did this her eyes went completely black. Now in my last episode where I talked about the black-eyed kids I had said that um, if it really was possession or whatever that made the kids eyes go completely black why don't we hear about it more in other stories of possession or other movies or whatever. And I did say in that episode that in the Exorcism of Emily Rose, her eyes did go completely black. But here's the caveat to that statement. That kind of proves my theory that I previously stated. And it's that yes, in the movie of The Exorcism of Emily Rose, her eyeballs, eyeballs do go black completely, just like the Black-Eyed Kids. But in the pictures I've seen of Annalise, during her exorcisms, I never actually saw her eyeballs, but the skin around her eyes looked like an actual black eye, like you would get in a fight. So I believe that that's what they meant, um, or that's what her mom meant when she said that the eyes went completely black. It's, I think it was more so bruising around the eye than the eyeball itself that went black, but I digress. In September of 1973, she was visiting her neurologist, and that's when she shared with him that she was having these visions of people's faces turning into these demon faces and tormenting her, damning her to hell. And she also told him that she felt like the devil was inside of her. Her mom told the neurologist everything. Everything that was going on that Annalise either left out intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, but her her mom shared all of the details and she was adamant that he told her that she needed to consult a religious official, which he actually later denied saying. The family did what the doctor told them to do. They found a priest and uh, the man they ended up calling was Father Alt. Now at this point in time it was extremely frustrating for Annalise and She ended up falling into a really deep depression. And despite her religion and her religious beliefs, she was contemplating thoughts of suicide because of what was going on and she felt like she couldn't escape it. And if she really was possessed, maybe it was one of the demons inside her that was telling her she needed to do that. But either way, she was very depressed, understandably so, because you're going through all of this and you have no answer as to what's going on or how to stop it. In July of 1975, her behavior just, it went to a whole nother level of weirdness, and it was even more concerning to her family and to her doctors. She was hardly sleeping. She would do things like eating spiders or coal. She would bite the heads off of birds. Um, She would bark like a dog. I think I I read somewhere that she went under a table and barked like a dog for two or three days or something like that, and acted like a dog. Uh, She would do things like lick her urine up off of the floor and some sources even say that she had superhuman-like strength. She threw her sister across the room like she was a, a rag doll or something and she would do 400 squats a day. 400 squats a day. Breaking the bones and ripping the tendons in her knees. She would destroy any religious paraphernalia in the room like crucifixes, pictures of the Virgin Mary statues, and whatever other paraphernalia that was in the room. The priest that the family originally contacted, Father Alt, actually contacted another priest, his name was Father Rodwick, and he was actually considered an expert in exorcisms, and he was convinced that she was possessed. And together, they consulted with a bishop named Joseph Stangle, who then approved the exorcism, or exorcisms. I'm not sure if it was the first exorcism or all of the exorcisms but at least one was performed by a priest named Father Renz and the date that I found that was consistent across all sources was that on September 24th 1975 is when the first exorcism rite was performed. Now Father Renz allowed some of the exorcism sessions to be recorded and this is where I'm going to put the audio recordings in. The first clip you're going to hear is her talking normally and the following clips are her talking while the exorcism is taking place and uh i'm not quite sure at what point her talking was recorded but like her normal speech was recorded but i believe it's during the time between exorcisms when she was quote unquote acting normally but this is where that warning comes in uh the audio is probably going to be disturbing to some people and um, it's approximately four-ish minutes long. So, if this is triggering to you, or you think this may be triggering to you in any way, just skip ahead uh, about four minutes. Yeah, ich will auch für die anderen damit die so. Aber But dann so schlimm, ist so grausam, so furchtbar. Ne, das Das ist so wirklich Da will überhaupt Ihr Kletze. Nein, ihr Kletze. Mann, die Kletze. Oh, so eine oh, Milani, oh. Sind wir schon drei. Ah, wie, 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 wie. Was ist so Yeah. Die müssen in eigenen Seminaren ausgebildet werden, die dürfen nicht auf die anderen Universitäten. Kapiert? Klar. Das ist da sonst noch etwas zu sagen? Ja, oh, weil das... Ja, oh, weil, weil, weil. Weil der Teufel größere Macht. Ich lasse den Jungfrau, im Namen Jesu, befehle ich dir und auszubauen. und beantworte Im Namen des dreifaltigen Gottes des Ba... Im Namen des dreifaltigen Geistes, befehle ich dir auszufahren und mich... I'm going to be completely honest with you. That is some of the most terrifying audio I've ever listened to. I I only listened to it a couple of times and not even all the way through. I just honestly, I just listened to it all the way through probably once just to make sure it was something I really wanted to include in this episode, but wow, it's it's scary for me. I don't I don't know if it scares you, but maybe you're just like a really brave person. I don't know. In theme with inconsistent information, there were only 42 recordings made in total, and other places say that there was a recording for each exorcism, which came to a staggering 67 total exorcisms during one of the exorcisms, I don't know if it was one or two, but during one of them, she was asked which demons were inside of her, which, which ones were overtaking her. And she named several, I think she named six or seven. And I'm not comfortable saying their names, um, with how terrifying that audio was. I just, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to try it. So if you're brave enough to hear the names that she mentioned, um, I will link To a youtube video on the website in the sources section and it's like an hour and a half i think or an hour and an hour and a bit anyway of all of the recordings and i'm going to be completely honest with you again i have no idea at what point during the recording that she says the names because if the four minute clip scares me i can only imagine what the hour plus video would would do to me (laughs) so if you're brave enough go check it out um i think the movie actually mentions the names of the demons that she said were possessing her So go check that out if you don't want to listen to the whole hour plus video. I'm going to call this next part the final phase of the exorcisms. And in this phase, things started getting worse. By May, she was doing things like banging her head against the wall. Uh, She would bite herself and other people, actually. Um, And it got to the point where it was so bad, they eventually needed to restrain her and tie her down to prevent her from hurting herself Or others. Now this may not be like the worst part in terms of like scariness, but the worst symptoms that she developed in this final phase was that she refused to eat. Uh, Whenever presented with the opportunity or the idea of eating, she would flat-out refuse and say that they would not let her eat. And even though she weighed less than 80 pounds or just over 80 pounds, she still had that same superhuman strength that I talked about earlier. She ended up developing a really high fever in June, and um, the family tried to bring a doctor over for examination. He noted that she was clearly malnourished. Another consistent date that I was able to find for her uh, exorcisms was June 30th, 1976, and I think this was one of the last exorcisms she had. And it was during this exorcism that she didn't say anything except for, please, absolution. The morning after the exorcism, her family went into her room to check on her and see if she had gotten any better, or if she needed anything, maybe she would eat food that day. And that's when they discovered that she had passed away sometime during the night. Now there's a lot of debate on how things were handled in her case. In the beginning, before the intense possession, uh, she wanted medical attention. She would go to the doctor, she would go to the hospital, she would agree to all these tests. But in the end, she, as you know, refused and it left her family with no other choice but to put all of their faith into the exorcisms and hope that it would help her since the medication wasn't helping her at all. And, in the end, her death was caused by starvation, and after 67 exorcisms, the stress that the body went through plus not eating, it makes sense. And she only weighed about 67-68 pounds at the time of her death, and after her death, her parents and the two priests were accused of negligent homicide, and the case actually went to trial in 1978 the defense gave eyewitness testimony submitted the exorcism recordings as evidence of possession but the court wouldn't allow it into evidence the non-religious evidence that they submitted was that it was her legal right to refuse any medical treatment if she felt inclined to and father alt eventually looked for medical treatment towards the end of the exorcisms and the whole ordeal but obviously it was too late um now during the autopsy Everything came back fine. She had a healthy, normal brain. The only thing they could find wrong with her was that she was malnourished and obviously very bruised. During her autopsy, they found absolutely nothing wrong with her brain. She had a healthy, normal brain. And there was absolutely no signs of any damage that could have caused any epileptic seizures. Regardless of the medical findings during the autopsy, the prosecution argued that she had epileptic seizures and that she had psychosis and they also argued that the two priests and the parents should be held liable for failing to take action to save her life and they disproved evidence and the argument or whatever of an actual possession and they did this because apparently during the exorcism she would speak in tongues uh she would she would talk about things that she should have no idea of knowing or whatever but If you take into consideration, and this is exactly what the defense did, they're an extremely religious family. She's been going to church two, I think two or three times every week since she was a baby. And so you learn all of these things. And while you may not be able to immediately recall them, the knowledge is still there somewhere in your mind. So what the prosecution was saying is that because of this upbringing and because of this knowledge that she gained throughout her life, It's possible that she was just using it and during her psychosis it came up and that's why she was able to say these things and speak this way and remember these things that she should apparently have no way of knowing eventually by the time the trial was done the court ruled in favor of the prosecution and they sentenced the parents and the two priests to six months in prison the four defendants had to pay for all of the trial costs and the priests were actually suspended for three years The court ruled that Annalise wasn't able to make sound decisions for herself and should have been forced to submit to these medical treatments by her family. Now, personally, it's very possible that this was caused by a a mental illness. And I say that because even though she was exhibiting this odd behavior before she was put on medication, the events that took place afterwards, after all this uh, attempts at finding a reason medically, And once the exorcism started, it really could have played into the fantasy that she was possessed. And because of her religious background, just like the prosecution argued, it's very possible that all that came up and manifested is, is that the right word I'm thinking of? Let's just say it all came up and manifested itself into this idea of possession. After undergoing 67 exorcisms, I think anybody, whether you're mentally ill or you're completely healthy, going through an ordeal like that, it would be enough to make anybody more stressed or to walk away with some sort of symptom other than having a perfectly healthy state of mind. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind that's just where my mind is at. But personally, I think, I don't know, like there is enough evidence to support mental illness, but there's also evidence to support that it could be something else. Regardless of whether she was possessed or not, I, I definitely think that they should have uh, intervened medically. Um, Yes, I agree. It's her body. It's her right to uh, deny any medical treatment. But I think it comes to a point where when, when the damage that's being done to your body starts becoming severe or life-threatening in this case medical intervention against her will was definitely necessary because even if they were insistent on continuing with the uh, exorcism couldn't they have continued it in a hospital like isn't there catholic hospitals where this could have actually happened where where this could have been done I don't know. I really don't know whether or not it was it was an actual possession. The sounds from the recordings, it's absolutely terrifying. And it's enough to convince me that she really was possessed. Is it possible that she was possessed and had a mental illness? I don't know. But what do you think happened? Do you think she had a mental illness or epilepsy or sleep paralysis or a mixture of everything? Or was she possessed? did she really have six or seven or more demons inside of her controlling her and making her sick if you think you have an answer or a really good idea or theory let me know hit me up on any of my socials On Instagram, you can find me at That Canadian Podcast. I do have a Facebook page now. All you have to do is type in That Canadian Podcast. You'll see the picture of my logo and you can type your theory for today's episode on there. Or you can go to the website, thatcanadianpodcast.ca and find today's episode. Leave a comment. Tell me what you think there. And if you really felt inclined, you can send me an email, thatcanadianpodcast at gmail.com and we can discuss it more in depth there. Now, my next episode is also going to be along the same lines of today's episode, but it's going to be a little bit more personal. That actually sounds more dramatic than I mean it do, but I do have some personal experiences when it comes to the next topic I'm covering. So make sure you tune in for that one, because when I say it creeped the hell out of me, I really do mean it. And I have proof, video evidence of why I got creeped out. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're new here, hello, welcome. Thank you for stopping by. I hope I see you again next time. Or I hope I can speak to you again next time. Yeah, I hope I can speak to you again next time. This has been That Canadian Podcast. I am that Canadian. And stay safe out there.